Welcome to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157. What are the best methods to detect plaque before it kills our patients? Welcome to a special segment on heart health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Pedro Moreno. He is the Director of Interventional Cardiology Research at the Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City. He is also a renowned world expert in high-risk atherosclerosis, and he has been a pioneer in the understanding of inflammation and plaque vulnerability. Dr. Moreno, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dr. Moreno, what's new in plaque detection? It seems every year there's a new type of way to find out what the plaque looks like. Yeah, plaque detection has become a very important step in the primary and also secondary prevention for heart attacks. When we say primary is in the general population, when we said secondary is in patients that have already manifested this disease. And plaque detection can be done both by imaging as well as by the blood testing. So we know that when a patient is at risk, and this includes at least two risk factors, either the presence of hypertension, diabetes, cigarettes, smoking, or hypercholesterolemia, these group of patients are at an increased risk for heart disease. In this population, imaging may offer the alternative to detect the disease before it is manifest. Dr. Moreno, you are a 47-year-old man living in New York City, so you've got a few risk factors. You are, even if you don't smoke cigarettes, you're a smoker just by breathing the air in New York. So year 47, how would you go about looking at yourself, imaging yourself to see if you've got subclinical or asymptomatic atherosclerosis? This is a very good question, and I have one risk factor, which is the hypercholesterolemia that I've been taking care using the statins since I turned 40. But I recently had a CT angio done in this hospital. Excellent. By one of my friends and colleagues here in New York City who looked at the vessel wall sure. of the coronary arteries and gave me also the calcium score. I hope you had a score of zero. I did. So I was very happy to hear that despite of my risk factor that put me in this intermediate group, the imaging dropped me to the low risk, which is the major advantage that we have for clinicians when they don't really know how much a patient may be at risk for developing a heart attack. Did you have any soft plaque? I didn't. I didn't have any calcium. And during the angiogram, we look at the vessel wall thickness, and we didn't have any soft plaque. So that's a very important observation, considering that for the first time, the Journal of the American College of Cardiology recently published a study that was actually done here in New York, in which patients with soft plaques and also with calcific plaques, but asymptomatic, had an increased death with the CT angio documenting this high-risk population. All right, so why will Blue Cross Blue Shield not pay for the test and they'd rather put people through thallium stress tests and angiograms, whereas you could quickly rule out the existence of disease with this $750 test? That's exactly the major question we have in 2008 now, also that not only Blue Cross Blue Shield, but other very important uh, third payers are reconsidering the reimbursement of the CT angio. Mostly the answer is because evidence-based medicine has been built 
on multiple randomized trials that have proven to change the natural history of the disease. And the CTNG is a recent test that have not built enough evidence base to provide the data that we require. Where do you fall on the debate of using carotid IMT scores as a surrogate marker for what's going on in the coronaries? Yeah, carotid IMTs are also an imaging modality that helps the clinician to identify early disease. And carotid IMT has a little controversy, but it's still a very reliable test in the hands of expert technicians that can actually prove the reproducibility of this test in their hands. We are actually starting a new project in this hospital in which carotid IMT, the calcium score of the coronaries, and the brachial ankle relationship between the blood pressure in the legs and in the arms are going to be the three major pathways to identify the high-risk population. So you identify someone as low risk that you thought was at high risk by doing a CTA or an IMT, and they've got an LDL cholesterol of 160, and they're let's say they're 50 years old, and they've got no evidence of disease. You've just stratified them to low risk. Why would you put them on a drug for the rest of their life if they have no evidence of a disease? That is a very good question. I don't believe that people with negative CT angels and negative calcium scores will benefit from the treatment, the long-life treatment of a condition like mild hypercholesterolemia. On the other hand, our major guidelines for primary prevention suggest that population with very high cholesterol, even though low risk by other criteria, will benefit from the treatment of this disease. We both know that there are many people with cholesterols of 300 that do not develop coronary artery disease and live till a ripe old age of 85. And there are those who have low cholesterols and develop coronary artery disease. So the guidelines came out before CT angiogram existed. That is correct. One of the most important issues to consider here is the ability of the reverse cholesterol transport. So if you have a high cholesterol in the blood, but you don't have coronary or any other manifestation of atherosclerosis, it is because you have a tremendous ability to remove cholesterol from your vessel wall. So the reverse cholesterol transport mediated by the high-density lipoprotein in this population is extremely good with very good receptors in the liver for the LDL and proper excretion of the abnormal hypercholesterolemia. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment on heart health. My guest is Dr. Pedro Moreno, a world-renowned expert in atherosclerosis and a pioneer in the understanding of inflammation and plaque vulnerability. Dr. Moreno, you brought up HDL, and if someone's got effective HDL, not necessarily high HDL, because you can be lulled into a false sense of security having a high HDL, and uh, it's not working. So what's on the horizon or what's even here that can tell us if our HDL is actually doing what it's supposed to do? Yeah, the subtraction of the HDL helps the clinician to have an idea of which is an effective or non-effective HDL. But most importantly, it is actually the APOA1, 
which is the protein in the HDL that is effective in the removal of cholesterol. So not only HDL in the blood, but also the level of APOA1, which, as I said, is the functional part of the HDL, helps the clinician to have an idea of this patient population. Do you know anyone who is routinely measuring APOA1 levels? This is a question that it is only driven by the population that have high HDL and coronary disease, which is kind of a very, very low percentage of our patients. The majority of our patients have a very low HDL. We actually finished a study this morning analyzing data over 5,000 patients in our database from the Carrier Cath Lab showing an incremental benefit in survival according to the quartiles of the HDL. This is only in populations that have control LDL. So LDL lower than 70, treated by aggressive statin therapy in patients with previous coronary stents. And in that population, an HDL of 25 showed increased mortality when compared to an HDL of 35, 45, and 55, highlighting the importance of HDL as a marker for mortality and heart disease. Is it a stronger marker than LDL? Well, this study that I just mentioned was done only for patients with control LDLs. I think for the Framing and Heart Study, in the Framing and Risk Score, the HDL has six points if you have low HDL, and the LDL is only three points, suggesting that HDL may provide the clinician and the patient a better protection for future heart attacks. What do you like in the current armamentarium of HDL-raising medicines or vitamins? What are you recommending? Yeah, I recommend exercise. I am very cautious, individual recommendation of low grade of alcohol, and most importantly, I use niospan. So what happens when they cannot tolerate the niospan? Yeah, niospan is actually now... It's a little uh, better. Within the, yeah, within the last few months, we have the extend release niospan that have increased the tolerance and the compliance of, of our patients. The most important thing with niospan is to convince the patient of the benefit of a high HDL and tell him that the flushing effect, this, this uncomfortable sensation, will go away if it's taken with aspirin 30 minutes before and with a little bit of crackles at the time of the niospan. Do you have any familiarity with the new medicine coming out soon by Merck with a prostaglandin blocker in it that is supposedly supposed to decrease the flush? Yeah, I have heard very good reports from friends that participated in the clinical studies, but I have had no experience with my patients yet. How's your HDL? My HDL is actually 46. Close to your age. Well, yeah. I would like to I have it greater than 50, though. Right. I hope it goes up as you age. All right. So what do we do with our patients that have coronary artery disease? We know they've got soft plaque they don't have any hemodynamically significant lesions, how can we stabilize that plaque as best as possible without sticking a stent in there or a sealant? Yes. The major pathways in which we rely for primary prevention still the control of the four major risk factors. So if the patient is asymptomatic, 
and you identify the disease as a bystander, let's say, for primary prevention. You have to be sure that all the risk factors of this patient are adequately controlled. If the patient is already symptomatic and have had coronary stent in myocardial infarction of bypass surgery, then you have to treat the disease appropriately with the beta blocker, the ACE inhibitors, aspirin, Plavix, and as well as the statin with the niacin if the HDL is low. Dr. Pedro Moreno, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to a special segment on heart health on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. If you have any comments or questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.